what advice would you have for anybody that might be considering surgery? Maybe they're not 100% sure on their decision yet. Yeah, don't do it. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Chemical X podcast. It's your girl, Veronica. And your other girl, Alessia. And today we have a very special guest that we've been anticipating since the beginning of this podcast, um, Carl Schwartz. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Thank you for creating us the noses that we have now to this day uh, that has got us this far. So <laughs> That's confidential. <laughs> it's not confidential on this podcast. No, it's no, no. Nothing's here. Yeah. Um, so you are, for anyone that doesn't know, a plastic surgeon in the Montreal, Montreal Laval area. Uh, how long have you been doing surgeries? So I've been in practice now for 15 years. 15, okay. Uh, 15 years that I moved back to Montreal, um, but I did my training in the U.S. So I did a six-year residency in plastic surgery. So at that point, you're already starting to operate and learning the things. Right. So six years there in Washington, and then, uh, and then I moved back uh, 15 years ago, so... Interesting. And how come you didn't decide to stay in the U.S.? Ah, uh, well, <laughs> part of it was a family decision. So okay, okay. I had my parents who were, here, who were here, and my roots were here. And I, I, you know, I've been gone for 15 years. I'd lived in New York and Washington, and for sure Montreal was my favorite city. Um, great place to live, great place to raise a family. So I thought mm -hmm. of the future and, and decided to come back. I was also offered a job at McGill, doing a lot of breast reconstruction. So when I first started my career, it was it was heavy, heavy on on the breast reconstruction for cancer patients. So it was one of the draws that brought me back. Okay. Yeah. And what made you want to be a plastic surgeon? So what, it was not like in the movies where there's like an epiphany <laughs> and I saw a particular you're patient. Like, this is it. And you like saw a girl with really nice saw, tits and you were no, like, that, that, I want to create those. That. <laughs> that was not that. But it was, it was a bit of a slow process. So when I was in college, for, for lack of like, better option I decided okay well I'm going to do pre-med stuff you know my mm -hmm. father was a plastic surgeon here in Montreal so I just decided to go into pre-med and then once I was in pre-med I got into that track and and so I knew I was going to med school um I was gravitating towards surgery okay. but I didn't know what and then once I got into medical school you, you kind of get exposure to all the different specialties so you'll do like two months in orthopedic surgery two months in general surgery urology plastic surgery and I thought I wanted to do orthopedic surgery uh, for a couple of years, but then I kind of switched my mind um, because orthopedic surgery is like a, a lot like, not to put down orthopedic surgeons because they're very talented, but it's it's more like carpentry, you know. Okay. It's a lot of heavy tools and drilling and things, which I liked at the beginning. Is feet. Right? Orthopedic bones, basically. Bones. Bones or, and tendons oh, right, and right, stuff, right. but essentially bones. Okay. Uh, I don't know why the, I thought it was feet. No, no, <laughs> that's podiatry. That's podiatry, <laughs> and, and they're not they're not doctors, but but anyway, that's we're a level one here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so so then, like I was exposed a little bit more, a little bit more to plastic surgery, and the more I saw it, the more I would like it, and it was like a slow process for me. Uh, okay. The reconstructive part, like the artistic part, it's the only like really specialty where there's like a real art to it. And that I liked a lot. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think it's the most creative um, version of medical practice, I guess, because yeah. it's the only one that yeah. you can actually like, have your own taste, have your own touch, yeah. um, have your own style. And the results are very visible, right? Yeah. That's, that's the whole point. It's, it's a very aesthetic thing. For sure. Yeah. Um, so you realize like going through, you know, like your medical school. Months and months and years. Yeah. Like, it was not, like I said, it was not one moment, one patient. It was like 
a series of, of uh, experiences for me. And what was it like? You know, obviously you said your father was also in plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, was there, did you like grow up having a certain mindset about it? Or were you, was it always like very open, plastic surgery, that kind of stuff, like in your life? It was always open. So yeah. like as a little kid, I saw my father operate. And so like seeing blood and, and like a little bit of gore was was nothing to me. Right. Like I saw it since right. a little, little kid. But if anything, knowing, you know, having a father as a plastic surgeon, I appreciated what he did. But it made me kind of resist going into plastic surgery because I felt like, am I really, am I going into this because it's my father and I want to please my father I was going to ask you that, stuff. yeah. So if anything, like I kind of resisted it until the very end. Right. Uh, but then I realized it's, it's what I really wanted to do, so. For sure. Yeah. Clothes go out of style, but you know what never goes out of style? Jewelry. Hmm. That's true. You don't agree with me there? <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> also, it's just so versatile. I love jewelry personally. Personally for me, I love jewelry. I don't always have the wallet to, you know, do what I want to do and purchase what I want to purchase. But that's why I love brands like Every Jewels where you can get what's trending or just like cute, simple chains, stackable rings, just pretty much anything uh, to have some really nice jewelry. And it's also very affordable but very good quality waterproof you can wear it in the shower because if you're lazy like me and i don't like to take off my jewelry you know it's always a good thing and it's designed by them so most of the jewelry is kind of like you don't see it everywhere Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if you're looking to add some new pieces to your collection or if you have a beautiful woman you have in your life that you want to spoil you can get her a bunch of jewelry. We ha- They have tote bags. They have socks. Just throw in a bunch of things in carts and then add Chemical X at checkout to receive 20% off your entire order. And I'm curious, and I'm always curious this when I see, curious about this when I see plastic surgeons. When you're a plastic surgeon, do you feel like you're more or less likely to get surgery on yourself? Because you kind it, of like it, know what goes into it, yeah. Kind of thing? I guess. I mean, in my case, less. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I just don't have that mindset. Mm-hmm. I, I um, I've never had any cosmetic surgery. Um, I think may, that's what Veronica wanted to do. She's like, "Are yeah, you yeah, redone?" Yeah, exactly. I know what you're getting at. No, I, I, <laughs> are those lip I, fillers? <laughs> I, I have not. I have not. Well, definitely, you look at my lips. You know they don't have lip filler. But I, I have not. But I, it's not like I'm against it. I mm-hmm. just haven't. It doesn't really enter my mind so much. Maybe okay. as I age, like I'll start to think more about it. Uh, I definitely have colleagues who have had it. Like if you go to a plastic surgery meeting, it seems like every second person, every second plastic surgeon has had something. Really? Do you feel uh, like it's more women or more men, though? Both. Both. Okay. Both. Okay. Yeah. Both. I mean, plastic surgery in in general, mo- more women, like 15 percent. Mm-hmm. Do you think men. it's been changing a little bit? Yeah, it has. For sure, over the last 10 years, there's been a shift. I would have said 10 years ago, it was like 5% men, and now it's probably 15. And what do they normally get done? Uh, in men, uh, Botox is very common, okay. right? And then in terms of surgery, uh, eyelids is number one, okay. and then liposuction mm. is number two. And in typically, men, wow. it's like that spare tire, the abdomen, and, and love handles, flanks. That's number two. Okay, men, we see you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah it's happening more and more, but, but you know, because men... We definitely don't like to talk about this. Not the not the way women have recently. We're we're less open to it. And it's right. more taboo still. Yeah. But it's changing. You know, we're just lagging probably ten years behind. Right. I mean that's true. But it's funny because I feel like we're at a time where like we're most open about it's weird. It's like it's always like at a at a 
a crossroads a little bit. I feel like we're the most open, we're the most accepting of how people are and like body positivity and all that stuff. And then at the same time, it feels like we're also the harshest we've ever been. We're you know very what judgmental. I mean? Yeah. You know so what I mean? We're, so it's we're, like, yeah. especially which one is like, it? Yeah. And celebrities, do you feel like celebrities need to be open about their surgeries or no. do you think they have like a responsibility? No. In a sense, or do all. you think like whatever, they don't have to? They don't have to. I mean, if you want to be open about it, be open about it. If you want to be private, be private. It's, it's like an intensely right. personal decision. But mm-hmm. you can say that things, I mean, things are definitely less taboo. People are talking more about it. Yeah. But there's never been more judgment. Yeah. Like you see a celebrity have a plastic surgery and they're literally skewered. Mm-hmm. Like you see the comments and the negativity. It's, it's, it can be brutal. There's a lot of positive comments. Right. But obviously the negative ones have more impact. Mm-hmm. And because there's no accountability online. So, you know, you can be almost anonymous and yeah. insult people online and you see it yeah. a lot. It's sad, but it's Very. the reality that, that it happens. Yeah. And that will bring me to my next question. But I think that's actually what fuels a lot of you know, the reason why certain people, especially in the spotlight, do get surgeries, right? Is because of the hate you're that they're receiving. You're always on video. You're always on yeah. camera. Like, it's hard. To, like, you're staring at yourself all yeah. day long. For sure. And and you're getting a lot of comments from the public eye telling you to fix this, fix that. You don't look good here. This is ugly about you. And I think, like, when... Are you able to recognize when someone's coming in um, based off, like feedback that they're getting from others maybe they're getting like maybe it's their family maybe it's their friends maybe it's on a grander scale like they're a social media influencer that's getting a lot of hate out of a certain thing are you able to recognize when the insecurity is coming from pleasing other people or if it's really coming from within yeah most of the time i'd say like like the first question i'll ask every patient is why you know, why are you doing this? So if they come in for a nose job, I'll say, why a rhinoplasty? Why are you thinking about a nose job? Because I have a hunker and I want to get it gone. Tummy tuck, like literally anything, you know, why you want a breast augmentation. And patients are in general, pretty honest, you know, and, and sometimes they'll say it's something that I've been thinking about for years, ever since, you know, I went through puberty, let's say for breasts and I just never developed. And other times you get a sense it's not that, you know, it's, you know, the boyfriend or the husband or pressure from friends. Um, but it comes out, eventually it comes out through the consultation. Right. And if, it, if that's the case, you know, I'll ask them like, listen, does this really bother you? You know? And yeah. Patients... So I'm sure you prefer that they come just them? Not necessarily. No? Not necessarily because if they come, if they come with their significant other or a girlfriend, let's say, uh, sometimes it's advice, it's, it's advice. It's like a sec- second set of eyes and ears that can help right. them make the decision. But when it's a negative, uh, interaction, I can tell. Right. right. If it's like an overbearing significant other who's basically saying, oh, go for the bigger implants. No, pushing the issue. I'll recognize it right away and I'll push back. I'll right. say, you know, thank you for your opinion. But but, uh, you know, it's her decision and it goes both ways. You know, yeah. It's man or woman. Do you uh, think that happens I, a lot? N- not as often as you would think. OK. So, okay. so most most of the time for let's say and I use again the, the, the example of breast augmentation, the, the significant other is a really supportive and leave it to mm. uh, leave it to a woman to make the choice, which is the appropriate thing. But once in a while, I get somebody who's not right. the nicest guy, and then you have to kind of be, for lack of a better term, put in their place. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, yeah. when it comes to surgery, obviously, when you're the person getting the surgery done to yourself, it's obviously very serious. And sometimes yeah. people are a little more more chill about it when it's just their opinion, and they're very easy to throw around. Like, yeah, yeah. just get this, just get that, just add on this. And I feel like you don't necessarily re- realize like the repercussions like this is most of the time a permanent thing that you're doing right yeah. and, and it's serious it's and serious I think people also see it as like i'm already going under might as well i'm mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. might as well get it all done at the yeah. same time yeah but there are consequences so 
there is what you want in terms of size. Mm-hmm. And you can say, well, I want to be this big. I want my breast to be this big. But then there's the potential consequences. So we can get you this big. But what if you have rippling, visible ripples and waves in the implant? What if you have implants that drop too low because they're simply too heavy? What if you get stretch marks? What if all these complications mm-hmm. where, yeah, you'll have the breast size that you want, but the shape won't be nice at all. And then you're miserable. You're, happy, you're unhappy. Right. So it's about making the decisions that, to avoid those complications. And sometimes it means, okay, you have to go a little bit smaller than what you would want to have the shape and the durability, that, that, like the longevity of, of, uh, of the result. Right. But you can't, you, essentially what I'm saying is that sometimes you can't have everything you want. Yeah. You have to kind yeah. of give up a little bit on size to have the shape yeah. and the, the nice long-term result that you want. And I'm sure a lot of people come in with celebrity photos that they see and they're like, this is mm-hmm. what I want. Well, who would you say is the celebrity people come in asking mostly for? I would think it's Bella Hadid, but. Yeah, I, I, some of that. But I would say the most common nose is Kim Kardashian. Oh, right, right. Right. And actually, really? the Kim Kardashian has I, I a very mean, nice nose. Uh, she redid it, like, I think four times. I don't yeah. know. Like, I, I you know, I don't yeah. comment on, on what right. she's had done. But I can tell you that overall, she has a pretty nice, natural, proportional-looking nose. Uh, uh, you know, it's tough to tell because a lot of photos are retouched and she wears right. a good amount of makeup. But in general, I think it's overall nice. But the problem with that is that she started off with a certain nose. Mm-hmm. And now she has a result. Somebody could be starting off with a completely different yeah. nose. And want that result is not realistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the the anatomy that you have, like the cartilage, the bone structure, the thickness of your skin, like all these factors that have a significant impact on your final result. And so I can get you from here to here, but I might not be able to get you to here. Right. And like the most important part of the consult is managing expectations. Yeah. Is to be able to say, okay, you're not getting you're not getting Kim Kardashian's nose, which I never say, right? But it's about saying like I think if you're expectation is here i think can get you here and if you're not gonna be happy with this then don't do it yeah because it's true a lot of people see something and they go like oh she has such a good nose but it's like if you would you know edit that nose onto your face it would look like garbage and it wouldn't suit your face it wouldn't suit the kind of skin you have the kind of nose shape you're already starting with and Mm -hmm. i think that tends to be like a common issue with like why people are disappointed with surgeries or whatever because they want something that's not even attainable you know? Yeah, and, and you, maybe they have a surgeon who has not managed your expectation. Right. Has told them, yeah, mm-hmm. don't worry, I'll give you what you want. You're gonna, it's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, it's, about, it's very, very much about managing expectations. Interesting. Yeah. And what about Botox? Does it actually prevent wrinkles? Because I feel yeah. like it does. Yeah, it does. So okay. Botox is a medication, right, mm-hmm. that when injected into a muscle, relaxes the muscle. Okay. Right? So you can inject a small amount and mm-hmm. it relaxes the muscle a little bit, or you okay. can re- inject a lot, and then the muscle doesn't move. So it's used in areas of the face where the wrinkles are caused by movement, right? Mm-hmm. So that's okay. the forehead lines here. Right? Yeah. So if you raise your eyebrows, you get lines there. It's when you smile, the little crow's feet. Mm-hmm. It's when you frown, the frown lines here. Um, and so in small doses, you can use it to relax those muscles a little bit, okay. right? To either improve or get rid of wrinkles, mm-hmm. or if you're just starting to see them, to to basically eliminate them and then you won't get them right so okay uh, in those two instances but it's about dose and location so it's about not putting too much using a low dose because if you do too much everything's frozen like okay. in hollywood you see those people who, who literally cannot move their eyebrows they look expressionless you don't know if they're mm-hmm. crying or, or laughing <laughs> right like, like they, that's just way too much botox yeah um and 
nowadays I think the trend is towards a little bit less so you can yeah. still move and have expression yeah. but right. have softer lines right mm -hmm. so you're like did yeah. she do it did he do it yeah it should you know? be like that if you can yeah. tell somebody had a surgery or Botox it's probably not too an ideal result right. Yeah. right and they put too much yeah but I, I know there's always I mean it, so do you feel like there's a such thing as getting like preventative like and if so like what age do you say that people should tend to start like what's too early so um, sometimes I see people who are 22 saying I'm getting preventative and I'm like relax but yeah I, I don't I really agree. know so I'm all for prevention but there needs to be something right okay like you can't have like perfect skin like not a line on your face and you're young and you're 18 19 20 years old and be like I want to prevent no it's yeah. just you're, you're way too early so so you'll send them home you'll be like i'm not yeah, doing it exactly so okay. i think you need to have some lines already forming and okay. the beauty of botox is you can use it it'll get rid of those lines and if you keep using it you'll never get them right so at least wait until you have something the concept of oh i don't have anything but i don't want to get them i mean you might not get them for 10 years mm -hmm. so then you're just doing unnecessary botox for 10 years yeah so i, I always yeah. tell people to wait particularly younger patients it's that makes particularly, sense. I mean, I'd say mid-20s, late-20s is okay. when the lines start forming a little bit more, and maybe even more like late-20s. So, Veronica, we're, we're getting there. We're approaching... Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll let you know for my... <laughs> more uh, late-20s. Yeah. I'll let you know for my appointment <laughs> after. 20s, yeah. <laughs> um, so, being in practice for 15 years, obviously, I mean, I would say 15 years ago, social media wasn't really... It was just starting out, right? 15 yeah. years yeah. ago, I'm trying to think. It's not um, what it is today, that's for Definitely sure. not what it is today. How would you say the difference in, you know, what people ask for, what they're showing, um, kind of just the energy with plastic surgery, how do you feel like that's evolved over time during this 15 years, during, you know, the rise yeah. of social media, the rise of filters, the rise of, you know, editing your photos and all that stuff? Do you feel like there's been a change? And if so, what would you say that yeah, would be? I I think people are a lot more aware, first of all, so they're much more informed as to what's out there. Okay. You know, most plastic surgeons do some sort of social media, um, so there's a lot more information, sharing of information and education. But on the other hand, there's a lot more, there are a lot more filters, mm -hmm. there's a lot more judgment, uh, and a lot more like self-expectation. So with these filters, <clears throat> you could look amazing. Yeah. But then you look yourself in the mirror and you don't look like that, so all of a sudden you mm -hmm. want your regular face to match that filter, and you become insecure, and it drives you to want to do stuff. I don't think that's particularly healthy. Uh, the filters, are, uh, I think, are crazy. Yeah, um, I think filters for sure. Is yeah, I mean, I, they can be fun. They can be fun, but yeah. it's it, it's it's pretty destructive. Uh, ultimately, uh, there are positive things like the education and being able to see before and afters, and and you know, life surgeries, those types of things. But uh, but then there's a lot of the negative stuff of body shaming and you know people who either had surgery or not who are shamed mm -hmm. you know for their appearance so all in all it's a it's a bit of both you know social media has been good for plastic surgery and making it more accessible yeah. and open to people but it's also been a bit destructive in that there's there's a ton of expectation put on a people um and judgment right which is not good and do you feel like more people are getting plastic surgery now definitely like, the, the, like by a lot? Definitely. The numbers are increasing. What's the most common surgery? Breast augmentation. Okay. Breast augmentation. And is that your specialty? I, well, I do a lot. So the two things that I do most are breasts and noses. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and what's your particular, like, favorite to do? You're like, both, well, both. both. are so different. Those, those two operations I find, like, I'm fascinated by. And they're both so different. 
um, you know, rhinoplasty or nose jobs are super, super detailed, very little margin for error, right in front of the face, um, down to the millimeter. Mm-hmm. Breast augmentation uh, in itself is about making decisions before the surgery and making the choice of the implant over the muscle, under the muscle, uh, a matter of proportion, look at the patients, the rest of their body. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're both very different, but I enjoy both of them. But but since COVID, plastic surgery has, incre- has increased oh, really? uh, a massive amount. I think oh. there's a 30-something percent growth. I, I, feel like it has to do, I feel like it has to do with being at home, seeing yourself in the mirror, like really being with yourself so much <laughs> that you're just like... I can't wait to get out of it here and just get everything done. You really? know, you're just yeah. picking on your face. Yeah, there's some of that. There's there's the fact that you're looking at your own face on Zoom, so you don't yeah. look at your face live most of the time. You don't sit in front of a mirror, and now for hours, all of a sudden, you're looking at yourself. Um, you're at home. You're not spending money on restaurants. Yeah. You weren't traveling. You're right. not spending money on clothes because you're not really going out. Yeah. And if you were lucky enough to still have a job and maintain your income, you want to spend on something that makes you right. feel good. So. Part of that was plastic surgery. So that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, I'm actually interested that um, breast augmentation is still like one of your most popular surgeries, just because I feel like you know the trends obviously change. You know, in the '90s, it was like you know big tits, skinny little body, and then like over time, it became like that very curvy, big butt. Everyone was getting like BBLs. Um, so I feel like we're kind of. I feel like right now, where would you, where would you say we're like? body type trending wise you feel like we're getting getting away from the bbl yeah. body and going yep. more back do towards you, boobs or do you do bbls i do yeah okay yeah uh not as much as i do breast augmentation and noses but i do mm-hmm. i'm much more conservative than let's say the average person i would never try to get a kim kardashian type result right like it for me i'm, I'm a much more kind of natural philosophy yeah well she's so, actually she's been redoing hers to be a lot smaller now so. yeah, but, yeah but good luck good luck doing that without having lumps and bumps and irregularities like once you reach that size like going back is very hard yeah i always wonder how that must be you, you can't like, just how do you... suction it out without having lumps and bumps it's 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 not going to go well long term. Like yeah. If you have one of these BBLs, like Brazilian butt lifts that is really, really big, long term, not good. Mm. Not good. And that's part of the reason why I haven't pushed the issue there. And maybe I don't get as many patients to do right. BBLs because of that, but I'd rather be much more conservative and, yeah. and have good long term results than take the risk of a patient being super unhappy. Mm. You know, when you're 70 years old, it's just gonna, like, what is that going to look like? And also, <laughs> or the even thing 60, is, is like, like, yeah. You know, and the thing is, is when you gain weight too, you gain even more there, right? Right. So it's, it's like fat. you can like it at the moment and then it's like you start gaining weight and then it's disproportionate. no longer disproportionate yeah. to your yeah. body. And you yeah. can't go back. Implants, you can at least downsize. Right. 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 Interesting. So, I never thought of that. Yeah. So if the trend is a bit smaller, you can always downsize. Mm-hmm. It's, not that comp- uh, it's not that complex, which has been a bit of a trend. So now I think we're more on the smaller conservative side of breast than we implants. were like in the 80s and 90s. Right. Right. Um, yeah. More natural, uh, I feel like. Yeah, Which is, yeah, yeah. I think overall it's a trend. Maybe not in like Miami, but... In, yeah, it's in weird certain, though. Yeah. I feel like there's either like super fake, yeah. super huge lips, very redone, very tiny waist, big butt, huge tits. And then there's also the like, I want to look the most natural. I feel like right now, actually, I would say in the past couple of months, I've been seeing like majority of influencers removing their filler, mm-hmm. um, you know, s- stopping to do certain yeah. things, maybe removing their breast am- implants, certain things like that. Cause I kind of feel like the trend right now is to look as natural as possible. Yeah. Whereas for a little bit, it was like to look 
to look I mean, done. I mean, I think it's like, so it's it really tough. depends. I know. I, I really don't know. I'm just, yeah, just basing trends. myself off what I see. I see a lot yeah. of people removing filler or doing less or. Yeah, but or most so the people that get the most attention in social media are people with the two extremes. Right. So the people with the huge lips or the, the really, really big implants, but that's not the majority. It's actually the minority. They just get the most attention. So right. most people are kind of in between, you know, mm -hmm. pretty responsible. They want a good, let's say, change in shape and volume, but, uh, but look relatively natural. You know, it's just right. that those people aren't the ones who get the most attention. Mm -hmm. And what happens when someone does, let's say, like a rhino or a breast augmentation and they're not happy with the results? Like how how do you how do you go about that? So does that like keep you up at night? I just try and sure think like if I'm yeah. a plastic surgeon and someone's not happy, I'd be like, how am I gonna sleep tonight? It's exactly that. So I it, like literally, if you have an unhappy patient, you lose a lot of sleep. It's uh, a very 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 unpleasant thing, because it's like even body, after fifteen years. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and I and and obviously I have less right. I have more experience now, so I can avoid those pitfalls. But once in a while, you have a patient that's unhappy, and, and almost always, uh, I'll do a revision or a mm -hmm. touch-up, right? If it's realistic. You right. know, rarely I'll have a patient who's unhappy, who I realize their expectation is totally unrealistic, like they're just never going to get the good result, and I'll just say, listen, you know, and I truly believe they have a, they have a nice result. Don't do anything. Trust me, it's just going to get worse. Um, and in those cases, it can be a bit uncomfortable. But in, in most cases, by far, if a patient's unhappy with their result, I'm unhappy with it before they were. Like I recognized before they did that they were going to be unhappy. Mm -hmm. So then we do a touch-up. And it happens. It happens for noses, for example, there's a 5% chance that you'll need a touch-up. And it doesn't seem like a lot, but it's 1 in 20 if you think about right. it. Right. So it and if you're doing, how many do you do a day about? Uh, I'll do, let's say per week, uh, anywhere from like 7 to 10 okay. per week. Okay. You know, so... Yeah, one in twenty, it happens right, right, for right. sure. And I you feel have like... to, you, you can't, you can close your eyes and try to ignore it and <laughs> yeah. try to convince the patient, no way, think about it. But ultimately, you have to take the bull by the horns. You have to fix it. Mm. Uh, and would you say like it's something like you're mad about because you feel like you could have done it better, or is it the type of let's say like nose they had, or when you went in, you realize like their bone is a little more, I don't know, thick. Or... Yeah, I always feel like I could have done it better. Like okay. Like, oh, like almost every okay. case, I always see tiny little things and details like okay. that I could have done better. It's just the way I think in my personality. It's a bit obsessive. But, right. But if you're asking, like, is it something that I did, let's say it's my fault that yeah. I could have done better that led to the bad result versus, like, how they heal or how they scar right. or, um, you know, something that's out of my control, uh, oftentimes you don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, but ultimately... I try to kind of not think about it that way yeah. because it doesn't matter at that point. You just have to fix it. Yeah. So whether, you know, and the last thing I want to do, if I don't feel like it's me who did it, it's mm -hmm. well, it's the way you healed. Right, right, like, right, that's right. That's not appropriate. Yeah. I'll never. It's my responsibility. So I don't think of it that way. I'll just say, you know what, no matter the, the reason, let's fix it and find a solution. Mm. And I think it's better to be safe and do less and go in a second time than because it's hard much. to undo, let's say, a nose that... You took too much away you from. You took kind too of. much yeah. away from. Agreed. So I, I would prefer that anyways, to go yeah. in a second time. I know it's annoying, but... Do you yeah. feel like noses are the, the surgery that has the most revisions? Probably. Because I, I, I was thinking that just because it's like you see it and it's, it's, and it's such something that you, like, face. Well, you okay, see so every day. I'm not sure they have the most revisions because even breasts, you, could, you have about a 5% mm -hmm. rate, but they're the most difficult revisions. Okay, They're the most difficult because going back into a nose, there's scar tissue, the anatomy is not the same. 
it's just technically more difficult to do. Mm -hmm. So it may not be the most percentage-wise, but they're the most difficult ones. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Back to BBLs. Um, <laughs> so would you say that we're kind of like straying away from that trend right now and going in a different direction? Yeah, a little bit. I think, I think the trend is changing. I mean, mm -hmm. you see a little bit less of it on social media. Um, people are trying to reverse their BBLs, mm -hmm. but, uh, but people, they've also realized that it's a, it, out of all the surgeries, the one that's a little bit more risky, right? Mm -hmm. the cosmetic surgeries, there was a study that came out a couple of years ago that showed that the chance of you dying during a BBL is higher than during other surgeries. Yeah. Um, Why is that? Know, well, because you're basically injecting a, a large, large volume of fat into right. a, a small area. And what was happening is that when, they, when the surgeons were injecting very deep, they, they, there was a chance you could inject into a vein mm. and the fat would go into that vein and then into your lungs and potentially could be deadly. Um, since then, though, you know, things have been refined. People are injecting less volume, not right. really pushing the issue, and injecting more superficial. So it's become a much more safer surgery since. Um, I definitely don't think it's an unsafe surgery. I think in the proper hands, it's a safe surgery okay. done properly. But if you compare it to other surgeries, it's probably a little bit less safe. Yeah. And what are your thoughts on people going out, like, in different countries, like Turkey, uh, Colombia, to get BBLs? Like, what are your thoughts on or that? Or any cosmetic surgery. Yeah, actually. any cosmetic surgery. I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not completely against it, provided they know and they've vetted the surgeon. Mm -hmm. They know people who've had surgery from that surgeon. They know they're properly accredited, uh, you know, um, in that country and mm -hmm. have their, their, their license. Um, but the, the, I think the real problem is that you go to some of these countries that don't have the same level of quality control in terms of training. Mm -hmm. So the level of training of some surgeons uh, isn't up to par compared to North America. Um, so that's one issue. You don't really know what you're going to get. Um, but there are good surgeons. There are right. good surgeons in Turkey. You can go to Mexico. There are great mm -hmm. surgeons that I've met. Uh, the problem is quality control. You don't know, yeah. right? Uh, the second Especially thing is, with a language barrier as well, sometimes I feel like things can get... Yeah, especially you, you, in research and all that stuff when when you don't understand. Well, just also being able to communicate what you want yeah. in something super detailed. <laughs> like if, if there's a mixed message there and you won't get Google the Google Translate. Yeah. <laughs> Barbie yeah. knows. And then, and then, so the surgeon can also do a good job, but then you end up with a complication and you're on the airplane on the way back or you're back in North America and who's going to take care of you? Yeah. You have these open wounds and infections and it can be pretty complicated. I've seen patients from other countries with pretty bad complications that take like weeks or months to heal and and you can only kind of try and fix them months later it's pretty pretty bad and the thing is it's like if you get sick from this it's not even like you can hop on a plane and go yeah like how does that work do they work? come to like let's say would they visit you as like another plastic surgeon in the area or, well, or do they really need to see their doctor usually they come back right and the complications are basically dealt with here um, with with another plastic with, like, surgery. with another one so they'll call my office and say would you take care of this complication right uh usually i'll say yes you know because i'm not you know at a certain point you can't turn away a patient who are they going to go to and right um yeah. so i will it's say yes but, yeah i but know it's it, scary but, but it is a lot of time and effort um mm. to take care of these patients that you see let's say every week for several several weeks um but uh it's because part of being a doctor is I can't turn away somebody who's really, really in need mm -hmm. with a bad complication. Yeah. Um, and then you wait, and then they heal, and then you, you fix them six months later, basically. Really? Like yeah. they get it redone or whatever? Yeah. And 
the problem is some of these complications are not totally reversible, right? Mm, right. So if you have a bad, bad result because of a complication, it's you can't always get the result you expect it to get. Yeah, right. That's and a true. revision is always, I guess, more expensive if like and they're not difficult. the doctor who. Yeah, almost always. Yeah. Because yeah, it just takes so much, so much more time in the operating room to fix. I mean, I heard some crazy stories. Actually, recently I heard of a story of a girl who went to, I'm pretty sure it was Turkey, to get a BBL. Mm -hmm. And basically when she came back, she went to see like her actual doctor, um, just like check up on her health and make sure everything was good. And they had basically informed her that um, she had died on the table and they've re they resuscitated her and they were able to tell from like where there was bruising on her body. And they were able to tell that like she was resuscitated during her surgery and they Jeez. never told her about that during like they never like woke her up and told her like, hey, by the way, like you actually died on the table. We had to resuscitate you. Jeez. She only found out when she came back to Montreal, oh. saw her doctor, who then was able to be like, by the way, like this bruising here is what happens when you are oh. like uh, with the defibrillators. I yeah, guess. I guess. I, oof, I don't know. Fact That'd check? Be <laughs> yeah, I would check that. I would check that fact. I don't know. It'd be tough to tell. <laughs> defibrillators can leave burns. Right. Because they're paddles in the rectangular. Yeah. So if she had the actual burns, like one here and one on the on the back, yes, but... I have a hard time believing that story is totally, totally accurate. Interesting. Has anyone that, ever that, 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 died on your table? Never, never, never. Okay. Never, Scary. Never, never. I had to ask. That. <laughs> this, this is the type of thing that makes the news. I mean, it's yeah. Like, when a patient dies during cosmetic surgery, it makes the news, and it should. You know, it's a it's a disaster, and typically, there are a lot of mistakes, human errors made leading up to a patient's death. Um, it's very rarely the patient has like a hidden congenital heart issue that's kind of rears its head mm. during a surgery it, it, it's almost always a bunch of mistakes made not necessarily by the surgeon but by let's say anesthesia the nursing a little bit of the surgeon like like it takes multiple human errors to lead to to a patient death and it's an absolute tragedy um but uh I, i'm you know i have a great team and this is what we do we do cosmetic yeah. surgery we do these we do these procedures mm -hmm. and so the lead up to the surgery the preparation the blood tests, the, mm -hmm. the heart test, like everything that we do is to avoid that type of thing. There's right. always the same anesthesiologist. Um, it's just so that there's no miscommunication and mm -hmm. nothing is missed. Mm. There's a lot of comfort actually in just knowing that, you know, yeah. like it's manageable, I guess. Yeah, and there's a lot of complications that have to happen for you to die. Yeah. I feel yeah, like we well, go into it and we'll be like, okay, well, the risk, it the risk like, is the like, risk feels is so like 90%. Big. Yeah. You know? no, for, from a statistical standpoint, you're more likely to die in a car accident than you are on the table and having a, a cosmetic procedure. Interesting. So, you know, is it a fear? Yes. Patients always fear going into mm -hmm. general anesthesia or going to sleep. But is it a rational fear? Mm. I mean, are you afraid to get in your car every day? Yeah. Yeah. So, That's very true. You know? So... Spring's here, summer is around the corner, and you know what season that is. It's the kind of season where the last thing you want to hear on a Sunday morning is someone mowing their lawn. But let me tell you what beautiful, quiet sound that you do want to hear, and it's your boy mowing his lawn in the bathroom in a nice clean area, as you should. You know <laughs> what I mean? So girls, guys, if you want your man to have smooth balls this summer and have his lawn mowed, then head over to Manscaped because they have everything for below-the-waist grooming for men, including their lawnmower 4.0, which is going to keep their little balls <laughs> nice, soft, smelling good. Literally, they 
literally they have everything you need for a very unsweaty, unsticky summer. <laughs> and we know summer can be very sticky. Sticky. There's a lot of areas in the summertime that need focusing and we don't want this one to be one especially that we have a you know a solution for you exactly so head on to manscape and use our discount code chemical x at checkout to receive 20 percent off your entire order and free shipping so ladies men there's no excuses like is being put to sleep um like more dangerous than anesthesia like being awake, I guess, well, but just... So there's local anesthesia, where you right. basically, like, to remove a mole or a smaller procedure, you inject something to numb the area, yeah. and you just cut it out and close it, right? You don't feel anything, but you're totally awake, totally with it. There's sedation, right, which is where you get an IV, and you get a big cocktail medication, and you're basically out, but you're breathing on your own. There's, like, no breathing tube. Mm. And then you can do inv surgeries that are quite invasive, but not as much as with general anesthesia. Right. General anesthesia is, like, when you're... You're, you get so much through the IV that you stop breathing, but you have the breathing tube and the machine is breathing for you. That's like the deepest, deepest form of sleep. Okay. In the past, it wasn't quite as safe as the former ones, right? Okay. Being under general anesthesia had a certain risk. It mm. still does, but it's just as safe as sedation now. So the medications have changed, the techniques with anesthesia have changed to the point where it's just become so safe. As long as you're healthy, the chances are, are ridiculously low of anything bad happening. Mm. It could happen, but super low that's scary i didn't know you had a breathing i don't know why i didn't know that that you had a breathing machine when you're on uh, yeah if you're really really deeply asleep <laughs> yeah. you're, just in, you're in such deep sleep that you're not breathing yeah anymore. like when we you did... don't feel anything you don't feel any pain right and there's the ventilator that's breathing for you right. like scary. when we did it when we did our noses we did what Sedate, sedated yeah it's, yeah. it's we always just... it's almost always sedation and does anybody use... ever wake up during a sedation they don't they don't wake up in the sense of like being up and like hey what's going on yeah but they may start moving a bit they may say a couple things you're super, super groggy and drunk. <laughs> so by waking up, yes, that, that you know that can happen. But uh, what's but the weirdest thing? Someone's yeah, ever what's said the weirdest thing someone said? Oh, I've, I've had. Well, usually not inappropriate, <laughs> but one time, you know, patient divulged like as she was going to sleep to have whatever procedure. Like I'm leaving my husband. You know, like <laughs> boom, and then she was asleep, and everybody was like, everybody in the operating room looked around like, oh my god, I got her. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be my biggest fear, you yeah, know. Like yeah, you're yeah. so afraid you're gonna say all your secrets. Yeah. No, usually, usually it's not the case. Yeah. yeah. Well, I actually remember uh, in my surgery, like there's certain moments that I could like remember things. I guess like I I, I remember feeling my bone breaking, but not the pain. I just Same. felt like the pressure, and I guess because yeah. it's such a high because intensity it, moment. That's the last part of the operation. Okay. Right, it's the last part. So typically, we start to decrease the dose of anesthesia mm. to wake you up, and it's it's the one where you kind of feel like a tapping. Yeah, so I, it kind of stimulates you to I wake up. That. That, that I remember. Um, but no I remember. I remember. I remember him being like, "Close your eyes," and I was like, "Why? Why yeah. close my eyes?" So that, and then but, my eyes were closed. That level of being like <laughs> conscious is less usual, right? So nowadays we're using different medications than a few years ago. Mm. So now patients are even deeper than they were a few years ago. Wow. So that that type of thing is is even more rare now than it was. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. anything, but I mean, I no. just remember like vaguely that one moment yeah. and then that's it. No. So there's two types of rhinoplasties, one that's opened yeah. and the one I think that we did, which that's is closed. closed. Yeah. So the the difference, they're both good techniques. Like I'll do both of them mm -hmm. depending upon what the Okay, you do needs. both. Yeah, I do okay. both. 
but um, you know the only difference is if when you do an open, there's a little little scar, a little cut at the mm -hmm. base here in the skin bridge between your nostrils mm -hmm. called the columella, and you can open the tip of the nose. It's really people who have a really super droopy tip that need to put a little cartilage graft, like a piece of cartilage, to push it up. Okay. Um, or other really complex reconstructive cases. Um, but but all in all, like they're both good techniques. You can get great results using both. It just depends on the patient and what they want. Mm -hmm. Okay. A and closed rhinoplasty, it's just incisions on the inside of the nose. Yeah. So there's not this little scar here, but that little scar is like imperceptible. Right. Interesting. Okay. Do you feel like uh, rhinoplasty is like the easiest surgery to heal from? Uh, it's it's one of the less painful mm -hmm. surgeries. So for sure, like if you have body surgery, breast augmentation, tummy tuck, liposuction, I feel like there's more discomfort there. Mm -hmm. So you're less likely to take pain medication with a rhinoplasty, but the unpleasant thing is having your nose completely blocked Yeah. because <laughs> you have a little plug, a little sponge in each nostril, yeah. with a splint tooth, a plastic cast. Mm -hmm. um, it's that swelling and bruising and discomfort of being plugged up Yeah. That on is the annoying. face too. Yeah, it's like, so it's unpleasant. It's it just throbs. So it's it's more unpleasant than is than I would describe it as pain. Mm -hmm. um, we still give you pain medication, but but it's it's not pain. I'd say it's more discomfort. Uncomfortable for yeah. sure. Yeah, definitely yeah. not painful. So somebody asked, how long does it take for a rhino bone to fully heal? I'm so scared uh, of accidentally moving it. Four weeks. Oh, four weeks. So four weeks. So bones in the face will heal faster than the rest of the body. Okay. But uh, but in the rest of the body, it's four to six weeks. So at four weeks, you can be pretty assured that those bones are healed in place. If there are cartilage grafts that they've placed in that are sutured in place that are a bit more delicate, it can take a bit longer, like three months, for it to be really solid. Like okay. You wouldn't want to take a hit to the face if you had cartilage grafts. But all in all, just for the bones, like to be able to wear glasses and stuff, it's really four weeks. Hmm. And for the think? most part, for someone to be like happy with their nose, how long would you say swelling lasts? So uh, to be like socially presentable, like if you have a nose job, most people will hide for two weeks because yeah. there's visible bruising and swelling for about two yeah. weeks. It's obvious. <laughs> like if you bump into somebody you know, they'll be like, what happened? But, uh, but so, when you really hate your nose, you're going yeah, out after yeah. two weeks and you think it's so nice. And yeah. then you look back a year later and you're like, why did I leave? I look like a zucchini. It's just puffy. It's just puffy. <laughs> yeah. So two weeks, you're seeing like 70, 80% of your results. Mm. But there's still that 30% of swelling. that has, Which so is still big. There's yeah. that lack of refinement. <laughs> But, but, if, but if you ask people that you know, they won't notice. Yeah. In general, people aren't very perceptive, perceptive when it comes to other people's noses. So you can go out and you can be pretty sure that people aren't going to notice. But the rest, that, le that last 20, 30% takes months and months and months. So if you look at your nose a year after compared yeah. to two weeks, there's a big difference. Yeah. I think that's when the magic happens. Those yeah. last like couple of months. Depends what you're starting with. <laughs> yeah. I was taking before and after pics when I saw my cast on. I was like, this is amazing. Look at this. <laughs> like, I couldn't even see I had old cast on my nose. <laughs> what are your thoughts on hip fillers? So I, th I think what they mean is those hip dips on like the lateral yeah. side of the, of the buttocks. Um, it's an area that you can fill with fat okay. or fillers. The problem with fillers is you need a lot, right? Even right. a little hip dip. Like <clears throat> it's a big surface area. Yeah. And you have to um, constantly do it. Yeah. So there's a couple of different types of fillers. There's, there's Sculpture now, which kind of stimulates your own collagen production that can give a bit of volume, but you have to put multiple vials. Okay. And it's expensive. What, so, what around roughly? Well, I mean, you're talking like usually about $8,000. That's on average. Like and it's going to go away. And that lasts how? Two years. Oof. Two years. And it gives, you know, 
more of a subtle result. So the hip dips can't be too deep or else you won't see much of a result. Mm. Um, but it's typically, you'll use fillers in patients who don't have fat elsewhere. Because you need a good amount of fat elsewhere to be able to get that fat to inject it. And, and what patients, about just like eating McDonald's for like 60 days and getting that fat and then transferring yeah, it? Yeah, you can do it. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes a patient who's on the cusp of being able to have, yeah. let's say, a BBL because they don't have enough fat elsewhere, right. I'll tell them we have to get, you have to gain 10, 10, 15 pounds. And then we'll suction that fat out from those areas and, and inject it. But, uh, but you can use for like smaller contour like dips or for a little bit of volume augmentation of the buttocks, like something like Sculptra or even certain hyaluronic acids. Uh, the most common fillers that we use now are starting to come in bigger formats now. Okay. So instead of like a one cc syringe, which is like a tiny, they're starting to come in bigger formats. But that's just starting now. I just okay. like imagine like a cartoon syringe, like such a big. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's like it was this yeah. big and like this big, right? So I have a question actually about a, a procedure that I feel like is a little bit controversial right now. Um, but we've been hearing a lot of people getting like threading, like the fox mm -hmm. eye threading. Is that something that you perform? Is it something that you recommend? Because I've personally, on my end, seen a lot of people getting it. It doesn't work. It leaves like crazy scar tissue in the face. So what's your what's your opinion on that? Uh, I would say the most common reason why people are unhappy is it simply doesn't hold. It doesn't right. work. So two doesn't months hold. later, the effect is done. And so these thread lifts have been around. They were they became popular like in the early 90s. Oh, okay. So almost, almost the identical technology came out in the early 90s. And it came and it went because it simply didn't hold. Right. Like the results were so short-lived. They started, they tweaked the formula a little bit. And fast forward like 30 years, it's back. Mm. But most people don't remember what happened 30 years ago because right. most people who were in practice 30 years ago are not in practice anymore. Right. I had a father in plastic surgery. <laughs> so I remember the early 90s and hearing my father speak with these threads and be like, they don't work. Two, three months later, the effect is gone. Right. In most people. In some people, yeah. yeah. But in a lot of people, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So I didn't adopt it. Uh, I wasn't a believer to begin with because I knew that it had failed 20, 30 years ago. Maybe it's a bit different now. But I see enough people now to start to realize that there's a good percentage of people where it doesn't work effectively. Yeah. And whether that's the people who are doing the procedure or that's what the actual technology isn't working so well, I don't know. But I'm not about to adopt it because if something works in 50% of people, mm. or even 70, like to have 30% of people unhappy, it's a lot. It's not. It's not good. Imagine yeah, like you're that. having it's a like, trouble with the five percent. Yeah. So no, 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 we're no, staying right. around. We're a lot of sleepless nights. No, <laughs> no I, I'm not interested. Not the way, not the technology the way it is now. Yeah. Um, best way to get rid of under chin fat, double chin. If. If, let's say, you're a younger patient, mm -hmm. okay, and there's not any sagging skin, it's literally just a little bit of bulging fat, like a double chin, then the most effective way mm -hmm. to remove the most and to see the most, uh, the biggest difference is to do liposuction, mm -hmm. right? So you're making a little incision, like half a centimeter under the chin, the scar's all hidden, and you suction the fat out, right? It comes out and it's out, that's it. Um, the only risk there, like any liposuction, is you end up with little contour irregularities, right? less than 5% chance, but it can happen. That's the downside of liposuction. And it's a minor surgery, and you'll bruise and you swell a little bit for about a week or two. Right? But it's not dangerous. No, it's not, it's not dangerous in the hands of somebody who knows the anatomy, right? Right, right, right. right. You're, you're way more superficial than all the important nerves and arteries, uh, and it's not a high-risk area if you're really under here. Right. Mm -hmm. the, the other thing, let's say, if you have just a little bit, it's not quite as effective, but works quite well in most patients, is Balkyra. There are these injections that oh, dissolve yeah, fat. Um, you have to do multiple treatments, typically, let's say, three on average, uh, separated by about a month. 
Um, but it does, it is pretty effective. Uh, it just is it permanent? It's permanent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's permanent, but it doesn't remove as much as the liposuction does. Mm -hmm. And you can still bruise and swell a little bit, but technically it's not surgery, right? They're just injections, so it's less invasive. But it's, it's a good option in some people as well. Interesting. And I have a question. I feel like now a lot of people get their fillers and their Botox done with like nurses. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's also, because they, I think you can have like the license to do it as well, just as a registered nurse or like a cos cosmetologist. Can no, it has to be has to be a nurse. Has, okay, it has, has to be, be a nurse, nurse. Or, or an MD. Okay. Uh, so there are a lot of nurses doing it. There are a lot of very, very talented nurses. Like at my clinic, I have Jessica and Christina, two people who basically do it full time. Mm -hmm. They've been well trained. They have tons of experience and, and constantly are going to conferences and learning. Um, so there's that side. I think there are a lot of talented nurses out there to do it. Uh, but then there, there are the ones who are doing it very, very part-time with, with very little training, like mm -hmm. out of their homes. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I have a bit of a problem with that. Right. Um, so I think if, if, if there's oversight from a doctor and it's done at a proper clinic with good nurse, good, you know, if you trust the clinic, you trust the doctor, mm -hmm. chances are you can trust the, trust nurse. the nurses. Right. Um, that's, that's the best way for me to put it, but do you do it as well or do you stick more to surgery? No, I still do it. Okay. I still do it. I, I do more surgery than I do fillers and Botox, but I still do it. Okay. You know, I, I enjoy it and, um, you know, having the whole team do it, me still being involved with the nurses and all that, uh, creates a better environment. You know? Yeah, for sure. So, so for I, sure. I, I'm still very much involved with that stuff. Okay. And also I feel like plastic surgery is a little bit like how tattoos are you know when people say like you get one tattoo and then you want to like get a whole sleeve you know it's like almost like a bit of an addiction mm -hmm. and i feel like some people get a little bit of filler they start realizing that they can adjust certain things about their face and then they do more they do more they do more do you recognize that in a patient when you feel like they've gone too far or they're doing too much do you ever refuse them for those reasons or do you ever tell them like look i think you should stop or yeah, all how, the time. how do you navigate that all the time and I probably and so lose, I, yeah, I probably lose patience because of it. But ultimately, it's my reputation, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and I don't want to keep them safe because if you inject too much, you can end up with lumps and bumps and things that are irreversible and difficult to fix. So I'll do it all the time. I right. mean, there's, there's a limit. And whenever somebody's like ridiculously over-injected, like massive cheekbones and they're disfigured because of the fillers, it's always the practitioner's fault. It yeah. is always the injector's fault. I don't care if the, 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 the patient's pushing and what's more is the responsibility of, of whoever's injecting to say no. Because it's on you after. It's your yeah, reputation. Yeah, you don't you're looking. It's a gradual change. You yeah. become blinded. Like right. a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And you don't even realize that you're yeah. becoming disfigured. It's, yeah. a, it's a normal human phenomenon. Yeah. So as, as an injector, you, it's your responsibility. You have to. You have to. Totally yeah. agree. What would you say are some red flags when looking for a doctor? Uh, make sure they're accredited. So, so let's say in Canada, the Royal College of Surgeons and Physicians of Canada uh, in plastic surgery, let's or dermatology, let's say, uh, there's some GPs who inject and they're very talented. But, but let's say, at least have them be accredited in their specialty, that they're well trained uh, and have a lot of experience, that they've done a lot of patients, that they have good recommendations. Um, you know, having knowing patients who've had treatments from those surgeons or other doctors is the most powerful so thing. like recommendations yes. yeah. yeah person to person recommendations is is probably the most important you can go look at online reviews yeah um like rate mds and things like that it helps to paint a bit of a picture but i know for a fact that some of them are not totally accurate mm, yeah so i've seen surgeons who were like five months in their practice 
and all of a sudden have like 300 reviews. Yeah. And, like, I, and I'm like, I know you haven't even done 200 surgeries yeah, right. in your life. Yeah. And you have 200 reviews. Yeah. Like there's def there can be a bit wishy-washy there. But uh, but it gives you an idea, mm -hmm. right? If somebody has a really, really bad rating, yeah. then you, can, Maybe you might want to look into it a little bit. Uh, but ultimately, like talking to patients and, and looking at their before and afters, let's say mm -hmm. online. Yeah. Like, the, I feel like ways. our generation, or especially me, if I'm like looking for a doctor, which is probably the worst way to be, is I'll look on social media. Mm -hmm. I'll be like, what have they done before? Which mm -hmm. is fine to just, I guess, I guess, like start it off. But then oh. you should do like, obviously... The work with looking at reviews yeah. and yeah, and go meet them sure. because sometimes you'll go and you'll have like an immediate trust. You're like, I trust this person, they seem honest, and they told me all, all everything, the positives and the negatives, right? Um, and, and there are other ones where you might meet and be like, no, this person is, you know, you gotta I don't feel, feel I don't feel trust, I don't feel like I can trust them, and mm -hmm. so it has to be a feeling too during the consultation. Yeah, and I've heard a lot of, especially I know this happens a lot in Turkey where the doctors will like edit their before and afters. So like edit oh, the yeah, after that's a great photo. Question. And like I've really seen that being a thing where like patients will go and talk about it later and be like, I, you know, these are not the real results. They oh. edit their or results. Or like they'll even do it without a light and then the, the day of yeah. makeup, of the makeover, it's like, like yeah, yeah I, the light. So for sure in, in, in plastic surgery, when you go to the conferences, it's a big deal to basically try and take it in the same position with the mm -hmm. same light, with no right. makeup, all these things. Sometimes it doesn't work out perfectly because yeah. you're in a different room and, you know, For sure. you might not get that exact situation, but you do your best um, to alter a picture with like Photoshop. Crazy. I think that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's, just, Especially... it's just dishonest. It's fraud. It's, yeah. Um, but uh, different lighting, it's a bit more gray. Yeah. You know? so sometimes patients will show a pre-op picture that's taking clinical, gets a white background with no makeup. And then the after pictures of them, like them at the beach looking totally glamorous <laughs> with makeup. Well, of course. So, yeah, you just, most people recognize that and they take yeah. it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, I wish everybody would show the exact same before and afters. Mm -hmm. What if, what if someone comes to a consultation and they don't know what they want to fix, but they're like, doctor, fix me. What do you think I need? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I will literally never recommend it, a surgery. Because yeah. what if they never had that insecurity and now you brought it? Yeah, it's no, no, like no, I just, it's not, I would never do it. I yeah. would never do it. You, you, you wouldn't tell them like what you think they would need in order for their face to be no, more balanced? Or... Nobody, nobody needs cosmetic surgery. Right. It's not a need. Everybody's normal. There are differences in people. Uh, I, I just simply, I'll always say you don't need anything. If there's something that bothers you, you can... Tell me, and I'll tell you if you're a good candidate based on what, what you think you want, but I will never, never recommend Okay, it. because there are doctors that I feel like do we'll that. You, yeah. They're like, well, you're already going under, like you're doing yeah, your nose, might as well like align your chin or whatever. Th that, that's the one exception, right? Right. Where very rarely I will, if let's say they have a really retruded chin yeah. for balance. But other than that, never, mm. like literally never. And, and even rarely the chin, I'll mention. Just because you said, if it's not the patient's insecurity, like they have no problem with their chin or other body, like why are you creating that? Yeah. Right. It's not fair. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting like perspective on it because I feel like, you know, people tend to say like, oh, you know, plastic surgeons, and obviously it's kind of negative, but I feel like people almost put the blame on plastic surgeons and say, oh, you're creating an unrealistic beauty standard. But do you feel like in a way you're also helping people? Because I, I would say for me personally, like getting surgery was like a really helpful experience. And I don't feel that it was negative for me at all. I feel like if anything, it helped me become like a better version of who I am. It helped me be more confident. Um, but then there's obviously the extremes where people 
have like more toxic version of that experience so how do you feel like the plastic surgery industry kind of has an effect on beauty standards and and people do you feel like it's more helpful or more negative uh, in a it's way it's a bit of both right so the best way I can put it is everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if plastic surgery is done in moderation, it can be done responsibly. And and I would say in most people it's helpful, mm-hmm. uh, but there's there, there for sure is such a thing as too much of a good thing. Um, and expectations do get higher and people will compare themselves to somebody who has had a nose job or a breast augmentation. And that can be a slippery slope. So yeah. there's a lot of good that comes with plastic surgery, but it for sure sets the bar a little bit higher in terms of beauty standards. But but it's not just plastic surgery, mm-hmm. right? It's also the filters. Yeah. It's makeup. It's the fashion magazines. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not the only culprits in, in setting that bar super high, particularly for women, more for women than men, you know? There's a lot more pressure, I find. So it's, it's about balance. Yeah. You know, that's the, way, that's the way I look at it. There's good, there's bad that comes out of it. Uh, for the most part, it's, it's incredibly helpful. It can give people a lot more confidence and make yeah. them feel better about mm-hmm. themselves. So. And for the most part, people do use it in moderation. And it's like you said, I mean, I agree with you. It's like you said, you, there's makeup, there's all, all these other things, extensions, uh, like magazines, social media, all these things are all play into beauty standards. And I think like when it comes to plastic surgery, like sure, some people could look at it and be like, oh, well, you're promoting changing yourself. You're promoting these things. But there's so many other factors that are mm-hmm. promoting a certain beauty standard Plastic surgery just yeah, happens all, to be an outlet changing, to They're all changing you. your appearance. There's yeah. a million ways to change your appearance other than plastic, plastic surgery. surgery. The way you dress, your makeup, filters, exactly. extensions, uh, eye, you know, eye, uh, eyelashes, like mm-hmm. uh, brows. And plastic surgery is just the more definitive way of doing it yeah. and tends to affect a bit more of a change. Mm-hmm. But, but it's not the only thing, for sure not. I mean, it's like we don't go to orthodontists and say... You're setting a beauty standard of straight teeth. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like... But it no. is a beauty standard... But like you're helping people become more confident, so yeah. Obviously, they could also like argue that it's like a health benefit, not, not teeth? braces. Yeah. But I think the difference is like in orthodontics, there's not much cutting, right? Right. Like there's no less around. risk. A, like I think there's a sense like, well, you're cutting, you're cutting into the human body. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that in itself like rubs people the wrong way. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's like uh, that's what you were given. That's what you should have. Yeah. So so I get it. I get that perspective. But it mm-hmm. also I have also recognized that it helps a lot of people. So. Yeah. yeah. Are there any breast cancers linked to implants? Not the ones we use these days. So there was a period of about 15 years where um, some people were using what we call textured implants. So most implants have a smooth surface. Whether they're silicone or saline implants, they have a smooth surface. Mm -hmm. And they're called smooth implants. There was that period of about a decade and a half where the companies developed these implants that were textured, meaning they had like a fuzzy surface. Um, And they were meant to kind of Velcro in place and to kind of stick in place better than the smooth ones. Um, what we realized after like a couple of decades, it was a couple of decades they existed, was that there's a link between the texture, not the actual implant, but just the fuzzy surface of that implant, and a very rare type of cancer called lymphoma. Uh, that happened to be a very, very, very low-grade cancer and very treatable, but still a cancer. So essentially right. those implants, half of them were taken off the market. Nobody really uses them anymore. Um, and we're back to smooth implants, which which are good. Um, but those, th- it was a period of time where, yeah, there were some implants being put in that had this link. Most patients have, have decided to take those out and switch to smooth implants. Hmm. So not anymore. Basically, the answer is not anymore. Right. Okay. 
And I've been hearing about a lot of people, obviously I clearly get my own information from social media, but yeah. <laughs> I've been hearing about a lot of stories of people saying, you know, their breast implants made them sick or depressed or all this stuff. I've heard is that any, too. Yeah. Is there any, um, you know, fact behind those claims or... So it, like Science. in the last in the last few years, like a hot topic in social media has been breast implant illness. That's okay. what you're describing. So breast implant illness has like kind of a nebulous definition, but there is a subset of patients who feel like their breast implants are giving them aches and pains, joint pains, swellings, uh, inability to concentrate, brain fog, rashes, um, Interesting. A, a lot of different things. And um, the, the plastic surgery community is always doing research on implants. All the research that's been done and looked at like hundreds of thousands of women's like big, big cohorts, big studies have, have not shown a link between mm. the, these type of uh, nebulous symptoms and the implants, mm. right? So to this day, as a scientist, you could say there's no link. But I will say that sometimes the studies miss the link, right? Mm. So if a study is not big enough or if there's a really rare, rare disease, sometimes it misses it. Mm -hmm. Studies aren't perfect. Um, I've seen a few patients in my career, um, not necessarily my patients, but patients that came from Osler who, who describe these symptoms and the treatment is to take the implant out mm -hmm. with that thin layer of collagen that forms around the implant, right? Um, and those patients magically got worse, got better after, hmm. right? So all these symptoms kind of went away. I think there's probably something there, uh, you know, breast implant illness, uh, maybe exists, uh -huh. right? If you ask most plastic surgeons, I think they'd probably say no. I'm a little bit more on the other side, but I can't be sure. Yeah. Right. Um, ultimately, if a patient feels that they have it and they have implants, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll offer an explantation, removing the capsule, and then you have to just cross your fingers because if it does exist, then it'll work. Yeah. It'll get better. Right. But yeah. if it doesn't, then what was it? Is it your thyroid? Is it menopause? Mm -hmm. Is it some other hormonal imbalance? Mm. Like, uh, is it another disease that can give these constellation of symptoms? That's the problem is there are a lot of other things that could lead to all these symptoms and it kind of gets mixed up right. in gray. So somebody who, let's say, has implants and all of a sudden they get these symptoms, well, they may be going through menopause, but automatically it's the implants and not menopause or their thyroid. Um, so it, it gets mixed up a little bit. Yeah. Actually, sure. A lot of the cases that are out there are probably not breast implant illness, but some of them are. Yeah. Right. How often do you have to redo a breast augmentation? Let's say... Because after, what is it, 10 years? That was the old rule. Okay. Oh, so, that was so the old rule. Implants used to have a shelf life, mm. right? Because they, had, they only lasted for so long before they ruptured. So every implant, if it stays in long enough, is going to eventually rupture, whether it's silicone or saline. Okay. The good thing about the silicone implants now is they're that gummy bear, right? Implants, so basically they're, they're cohesive. They don't, they're not like a liquid silicone that leaks. So if an implant ruptures, it kind of keeps its shape. Mm -hmm. So you can have an implant ruptured in place for a few years and, and be relatively safe without leaking. What we do now is every five years, I send my patients for an MRI, which is a scan, mm -hmm. to make sure that there's not a little crack in the implant. And if there's not, then we wait another five years, mm -hmm. and then another, and then another. So in okay. theory, you can have implants for 20, 30 years or even longer. As long as the implant's intact and you're getting your scans every few years, then you're fine. Interesting. And do you recommend getting a breast augmentation after having children? Or, like, depends, is it... it? Depends how close you are to having children. So right. if somebody comes in and they're 20 or 23, 24, and they're motivated and, and you know, they're, they're, they want to do it for the right reasons, yeah. and they don't know when they're having kids, right. then they can have it before, right? Because right. it could be half a decade or a decade before they yeah. have kids. Um, but 
uh, if I if let's say it's somebody who is like, well, I'm I'm gonna have kids in the next year or so, then I'll tell them to wait, because there's certain changes, right? Yeah. So your skin can get stretched, your breasts can lose volume, they can sag, right. and then you'll need some sort of revisional surgery or maybe even change of implants. Um, so in those cases where you're close or you know you're doing it soon, wait till you have till you're done with your kids, and that yeah. way you'll avoid another surgery. But otherwise, no, you can have it before kids. It's safe. It's safe for breastfeeding. It's safe during pregnancy. Uh, okay. to have implants so interesting what is the cost for a mommy makeover but what's also well, included depends. in a mommy makeover so usually it means you're having a breast surgery okay most traditionally breast augmentation and a tummy tuck okay okay right but it can mean a few other things but traditionally breast augmentation with or without a lift and a tummy tuck a tummy tuck can run anywhere from let's say on average let's say not my prices mm -hmm. but on average 10 to fifteen thousand. a breast augmentation Typically runs around ten thousand, plus or minus. If you're doing a lift with the breast augmentation, it's another few thousand in addition. Uh, so you do the math. You know, it can run around let's say twenty thousand for both. Uh, but that's typically what the mommy makeover means. It's a breast surgery okay. and a tummy tuck after having. And it's done at the same time. It's done at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Two birds, one stone. <laughs> um, so my last question was going to be, what advice would you have for anybody that might be considering surgery? Maybe they're not 100% sure on their decision yet, or they're just considering, is there any kind of advice that you have for somebody that might be, you know, in between doing it? Yeah, don't do it. Okay. Really don't do it. So if you're not 100,000% sure that you want to do it and you're not motivated and you're not doing it for the right reasons and you're not totally convinced, just simply don't do it. Just take your time, talk to friends, go for another consultation, get second opinions. Do what you need to do to convince, to convince yourself, yes, I'm doing it or no. Right. But if you're on the fence at all, do not do it. Okay. Because I can tell you from experience is those patients are on the fence. If they, you end up doing it, they're the ones who end up unhappy because they yeah. were never sure to begin with. Exactly. It's so, so true, though. Like, when I think back to getting a nose job, I hated my nose so much. That I was like, whatever I get, I'll be happy with right. because it'll be better than what I have. Yeah. So I think, yeah, when when client, well, people go in and they're just like, I don't know if I should do it, then it's like you risk the, don't maybe they're not going to be risk, happy yeah. with it. Yeah, don't do it. Especially yeah. when they're not. Like, I have a lot of people that will come to me and be like, oh, like, I just want to, like, change this or, like, this little thing I don't like. And I'm like... There's so you can end up with so much worse than what you have now, and like you need to be ready for that in a way where it's like you can't start going in and saying, like, I really don't like this tiny little detail. It's like once you start searching for perfection, that's where you're going to be unhappy. I feel like, yeah, th and those are red flags in the consultation. Yeah. If the patient's too detailed in mm -hmm. terms of the result that they want, I'll be honest with them and frank, and I'll be like, listen. You're looking at you're, you're you're looking at this in way too much detail. You're never going to get that level of detail yeah. and definition. You have to be more accepting of a small range of results. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, then don't do it. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody asked if you would be your own client. <laughs> if I'd be my own client. <laughs> yeah. In what? For what? what I they, don't know. What are they suggesting? He's like, I, I don't do? need anything. <laughs> <laughs> what are they suggesting I do. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I feel like I'm, you know. Would you trust yourself to do a surgery on yourself? I guess from that perspective, would I trust myself to do a surgery? On yourself. Like if you had like yeah. a... Yeah. If you had a clone. I would hope so. Yeah. If I didn't trust myself, how could other people trust me? Exactly. Yeah. Facts. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. And how do you like get people to trust you for a surgery? Is there like ways that you feel like you can make someone more comfortable or that you feel like is, is a way that you can connect to somebody? Because I feel like a lot of plastic surgery actually has to do with trust. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time, like somebody could have a great 
amazing before and afters but if you walk into the consultation yeah. and they make you feel like you don't oh. trust them it just it's not gonna it's not gonna happen yeah you know? and it comes down to just being brutally honest like okay. um telling them what they can expect the good the bad um, if they have unrealistic expectations is to tell them, no, I don't think I can give you what you want. I think you can get 80% there or simply, no, I can't give you what you want mm -hmm. and just don't do it. I'd rather you not do it than to try and do it. And I know you're not going to be happy. Yeah. Uh, and it's that just level of honesty and telling them the risks and the complications and the bad stuff that can come, come along with that goes a long way in, in terms of building trust. Um, and in, and I think in a short time, if patients feel like you're really telling them the, the truth, the good and the bad, then you gain their trust. Yeah, that's true. Last question. So you, you had mentioned that your dad was also a plastic mm -hmm. surgeon. Was there ever like competitiveness? Um, you know, seeing as he's one, it's like, who do I go to? Right. Yeah. Well, like people are like, oh, no. the dad's better. Well, first of all, when I first started, he was like, you know, a god in the plastic surgery community. He was like <laughs> the little guy who was just starting. Right. But you so. have an advantage in a way because you're like, oh, okay, well, if he's... A yeah, you get his, like branding. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. no, f f for sure, people trusted me to a certain extent because I was the son of. Right, right? for sure that <laughs> but, helped. Which is but so hilarious I, to think about, yeah. you know, like as like, if how plastic does... surgery skills were just <laughs> no, genetic. But, no, but but so you're right. It's not, although maybe there is a little bit to it. But it's <laughs> for sure. more he took me under his wing. So right. you're under the tutelage. So there is a bit of that trust, uh, knowing that, that you've been sort of taught by that person. Mm -hmm. um, like mentored but, in a way. But that only kind of lasts a couple of years. Then yeah. all of a sudden, like you're, mate, you're having your own results. Right. And once you're starting to have your own results, you make your own reputation. And, and you know, it took about probably five years for me to start, start getting out of his shadow. Um, and until I opened my clinic, my first clinic outside of his clinic, you mm. know, I left, I left where he was okay. on my own. And Cause you had started where, with him and you yeah, were, I started with okay. him for a few years. Uh, and then eventually I made a decision to open my own and, and obviously things evolve quickly. So. Yeah. And was he happy about that or like, I'm trying to think. Ah, like, yeah. Well, <laughs> you're like, well, say, how long do you have? This is a, this is a whole other family topic. <laughs> okay. If you really want to know, okay. I can talk about, no, yeah, I think he was, he was, he was okay. happy. He was proud. Okay. Carol. I mean, okay. that, you always want to see your kid go off into the same direction until they start yeah. doing better than you and you're like, relax. No, that was, that was never it. That was never it. He was never competitive with me or vice versa, ever. Best quality price ratio for Botox? There's such a huge range. I mean, you can find a good nurse injector at $10 a unit. You can have the plastic surgeon do it for $20 a unit. Right. They're both good. As long as you trust the person and know of people who've had good yeah. results. And, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, wait, I have another, like a last, 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 last question. <laughs> what was it like doing your first surgery? Yeah, I wanted to like, ask that. As like your first on your own. Well, you were shadowing with your dad, yeah, right? It, so it's it's nerve-wracking, for sure. You, you spend a lot of time planning before. Mm -hmm. um, but does the patient know that it's your first surgery? I don't remember. Do you remember <laughs> your first patient? I don't remember. I, I, you know... I'm not sure that I told him, hey, you're my first. No, I get that. But anyway, I don't tell me. But like, I want to know. So no, so so there's a difference, right? Because yes, they're your first patient in solo practice, but it's not the first patient you ever operated on alone. Right. Not even close. Because where I trained at Georgetown in the U.S., you were left the last two years of my residency with tons of responsibility. You were left in the operating room alone, operating on patients after having gone through years of training. Um so you, you've already had tons of experience operating alone. So yeah. yeah, it's your first patient in your own practice, which I, I had already had tons of experience alone operating on patients by myself. 
Um, so I don't think I told him I've never operated on anybody. You're, you're number one. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> hey, guys, but, uh, this is my first sure. surgery. Don't stress. Yeah, it's my first your, time. <laughs> but in your first year, for sure you're more anxious. Yeah. And I, that's where I leaned on my father. Yeah. And I would have him kind of there. And if it was a particularly difficult case, I'd say, hey, listen, do you mind coming in for mm. your opinion just to lend a hand? And, and yeah. And be there. Um, yeah. The first year, it's... Uh, yeah. Okay, like actually, last question. Yeah. If you weren't a plastic surgeon, what would you be doing? Uh, that is a good question. Pro probably something completely, completely different. Like what? Uh, more on, let's say, the entrepreneurial side. Okay. Like I like people. I like, uh, I like the, the, the HR people side of the clinic too. You know, okay. like I run a small business, so obviously most of my time is spent operating in my craft. Yeah. But I'm also involved on on the small business side, and I find it exciting and fascinating. And so, if I could not be a plastic surgeon, I would probably go in the other direction and be more like on the entrepreneurial side. Hmm. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, I like that. Okay. Well, nice. thank you so thank much. Thank you so much for coming. This is super informative, mm -hmm. and uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. And guys, if you're looking into getting anything, and you're in the Montreal area, or if you're not, if you're anywhere, mm -hmm. and you want to fly for a, you know, see a good surgeon, uh, what's your handle? Jeez, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll so you'd be more on the so, other so side. So it first of all, it definitely shows you how now my social media is basically managed by other people. I'm very right. much involved, but like, <laughs> we'll we'll you know, put it, we'll put it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you'll have to. We'll, we'll link, link it, it down it's, below. It's Clinica or Dr. Schwartz. <laughs> it's a combination of Clinica, and Dr. Schwartz, I think. Okay. But now, but oh I'm God. saying this. The reason I, I I I'm a little bit confused is because I also have another surgeon who joined me. She's on the South Shore. Okay. And I opened a second branch of Clinica okay. uh, for her on the South Shore. Okay. So I don't know if it's changed. There was some sort of combination done. So well, it's okay. Clinica, Dr. Schwartz, Dr. Savage. I would be more nervous if he knew too much about the social <laughs> yeah. media part of it. Yeah. So it's, it's not, uh, it's it's not a bad thing. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll link you down below. And again, we really appreciate you coming in. Guys, as usual, don't forget to like, subscribe, Comment down below and we'll see you next week. Yay! Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much. It was perfect. Yeah.